Let's pray. Okay, guys, let's pray. Are we ready? God's going to move today. He's already moving. God is amazing. He's here. You know that. Of course, he's always here. He walked in with you and I this morning, but he's, he's here in a, in a fresh way and in a new way. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for the power of your word. We thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit. We thank you that we are your children, that we are set apart for you, that we belong to you, that we are a kingdom of priests, that uh, you've, you've called us by name, Lord. We belong to you. We are your children. And Father, we thank you for that. I pray today that there would be just such an incredible breakthrough in our hearts and in our minds, that your river would flow, just like your word said, Jesus, you said, out of our bellies would flow rivers of living water. I pray today the rivers of living water would flow from within us and throughout us, Father, that it indeed would go through every aspect of our hearts. Father, you would awaken us, Lord into the love that you have for us. And Father, I thank you that you are going to do that in people's hearts and people's minds. I shut down and I bind every lying spirit and every voice that would try and tell us that we don't belong to God, that we're not worthy, that we're not good enough. I take authority in the name of Jesus and I bind those spirits and those lies from blinding the eyes of the hearts of the people of God and from, from taking away the, the thoughts that... Uh, that that should be there from your Holy Spirit, Father. So, Lord, I thank you for the freedom that will come today through the preaching of your word and the moving of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. There it is. I had to say it. All right. Well, last week we started our series on the anointing. And, you know, God's presence, like I just said in the prayer, God's presence is, is always with us. You can't actually get saved unless his presence is within us. However, there are times when there's an increase of the anointing and there's a greater sense of the presence of God. There's a greater fullness of the manifestation of God. And that's when the presence of God can be felt by, by most people. And it's not just felt or sensed, not even necessarily everyone will feel it. Like I've said before, Brahm doesn't feel anything. But there's a, there's a warmth in your heart. There's a stirring in your heart. There's a desire for good things in your heart. And, um, and so many people will feel like that. But that is the, the presence of God at work in, in people's lives. But sometimes it comes upon nations, upon cities, upon communities, and we call it revival. In fact, the Bible also called it revival. In fact, in Israel, periodically, there were revivals um, as, as people's hearts were turned back to God. And there was a, they turned back to the law of God and following the law of God. And, and that's when you would always see a revival and a, a going back to the uh, order of uh, the Davidic order of worship. And we're going to be talking about that in a few weeks' time, whenever we eventually get there. Who knows? I'm just going with the, with the flow at the moment. Don't even know how far I'm going to get today, to be honest, in, in what I've prepared. But, you know, this, this is what happens to the people of God. There's, a, there's a, a corporate desire for God to move and something shifts in their hearts. And, of course, it's God who's at work. And so this is what you would see periodically in the great revivals of Israel when, when, and, and God would institute kings that would bring order back into the, to the people of God. And, and the order of worship was always the thing to be, to be restored. And so, you know, don't be surprised to see that worship in the presence of God is at the forefront, is at the very spearhead of what revival revival looks like. It's actually on the vanguard of revival because that's the, the ultimate form of us expressing our hearts and our love for God is that brokenness and that worship towards him. And so this is what would happen with Israel and also in the, the church when the church was birthed on the day of Pentecost. 
We saw, um, you know, the, the, the manifestation of the presence of God. It was so powerful that everyone just started praying in tongues for the very first time. And, and, um, but it's interesting, isn't it? It wasn't the manifestation that, that birthed the church. It wasn't the, the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. It was actually when the preaching of the word came that the church was formed. And so you'll always see spirit and word working together. Whenever you just see great manifestations or, or a lot of manifestations, but there's a lack of the teaching of the word of God, just monitor and watch and guard because the word of God has to be the foundation and it has to be the, the banks of the river that contain whatever God is doing. We don't do weird, we don't do wacky, we don't do loopy, but we do the word of God. And when you walk in the word of God and on strongly on the foundation of the word of God, when the spirit of God blows and the Bible says he's like a wind that will blow whichever way, you don't know when the wind's gonna blow and which direction it's going to come from. And that's who the Holy Spirit is. That's what he's like. And when he comes, it, sometimes it can look strange. Sometimes it can come suddenly, but it will never go away from the truth of the word of God. And it will always be grounded in the word of God. You'll always be able to anchor yourself back there. So when the tangible presence of God or the manifest presence of God comes, it's so powerful, and it can really only come from God. But like I said last week, it always demands a response from his people. It really is an obvious manifestation or a display of the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why I used to run my manifest conferences. Who, who here ever went to a manifest conference? Who here got saved in manifest conference? Yeah, you did, Carmel did, yeah. Eva, that's awesome. Uh, we saw many people get, get saved in our manifest conferences and that was called manifest for the manifest presence. And I used to get mocked by other pastors in the city, like literally, they would mock me and say, oh, manifest, everyone's manifesting demons. And, uh, you know, <laughs> you pay a price to follow the power of God. Uh, I got told by one pastor, or I didn't get told, but someone came to our church and they said, oh, my pastor said, Diane Manasam is wrong. This is not the season for hearing the voice of God. She's got the wrong season. I said, that's a load of rubbish. And, uh, you know, we are led by his spirit. It's always the time to hear the voice of God. And, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of rubbish that goes around and it takes guts to stand and, uh, and desire and to follow and to pursue the presence of God. And so that's what our manifest conferences were all about, were pursuing. And it was amazing to see young people from churches all around the city, from Baptist churches, Anglican churches. Uh, we had senior pastors and their worship teams would come, so hungry and so humble, and, and we would all gather together. In fact, the first few years, whenever I'd advertise it, I wouldn't put our name on the advertising because I refused to try and make it about our church. Um, because I see this is, this is owned by the people of God. God only sees the church. But, um, you know, the desire was always in those moments was to keep ushering the body of Christ into that manifest presence of God and trying to keep the revelation of God alive. Because often when, when church culture is taking you one way and it's taking you away from that manifest presence of God, it's, um, you, the, the key to it is to just keep keep the revelation of God alive and keep bringing people back into that, that place. Last week we talked a little bit about uh, the principle of being commissioned, how God anoints us to, in order to commission a generation. And that's if we will respond. And when we respond, every generation when we respond, then we have to respond to subsequently leading that well leading that uh, response well. But the key is this, we can actually live in this kind of revival all the time. It doesn't need to stop. 
Can I tell you here before God, honestly, Brahma and I have never stopped living in this kind of revival. It's, it's in us. It's who we are. That's why I, you always hear me say, I feel like a missionary here in Australia. When it's been hard, when it's been hard ground, when it's been hard ground to plow, um, it's, it's like there's a, you, you, you can't escape that the, even now I feel the burning presence on the inside of me. It's in my bones, literally, I can feel it in my bones. He's ready to do something amazing here. And um, what he does is up to him, but I know he's, he's longing to be poured out on his people. And it, it doesn't need to stop, but it does demand a response from each and every one of us. Not a response to be weird, not a, be, a response to have manifestations for the sake of manifestations. None of us are interested in that. I've seen demons manifest in people purely because the person just loves to manifest. Because the demons love the attention, the person doesn't really want to get free. But I've also seen demons scream out of people, almost taking them by surprise because the presence has been so thick. And I've seen them gloriously delivered, myself included. So we can live in this kind of revival um, all the time. And, and that's why, as, as countries, as nations, the way forward in this incredibly difficult time and season in the world at the moment, it's, it's not about the church politicizing and legislating holiness on people. You know, we're going to see this and hear this more and more coming from the states especially. And we need to realize that a lot of Australian Christianity gets its, gets its stuff from the states and, 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 and a certain stream of, of Christianity from America. Not, not all, and obviously not all of American Christianity. And I say this with Carvin sitting right in the front seat, but he uh, wholeheartedly agrees with me and understands this as well. This is not a criticism, but this is, this is, a, um, this is an awareness, an assessment. And we're called to assess things, especially as Christian leaders. We are called to, to look at stuff and judge things and, and judge fruit in the church. And when I see the church beginning in a nation to politicize and legislate holiness on people, like they're trying to do in certain aspects and parts of the states, you know, it's dangerous because we cannot and we should not institutionalize Christianity. It has to be a grassroots, ongoing transformation in people. It doesn't start from the top coming down, dominating. No, 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 no. It starts from the bottom and it goes up. You know, Jesus came into a society where the Roman government was overseeing and dominating Israel. And in one generation, look what Jesus did. You know, even, even just before he went up, they said, are you coming back to, to, you know, to do something to the nation of Israel? And he said, no, 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 we're going to build from the ground up. I'm going to give you a power that is going to transform you as individuals and it's going to shake the nation, not this nation, but beyond this nation and even to the outermost ends of the earth. That's how powerful this kind of movement is because it's a transformation from the ground up, from the roots up. And then you permeate society, and guess what? You have nations then that cry out for the righteousness of God. And that's when righteousness exalts a nation, like the Bible says. So we can't institutionalize Christianity. We can't weaponize our doctrines and impose principles on people, because that's called legalism. If a person's heart is not engaged, there's nothing you can do about it. You know, I learned this the hard way with my children. I tried so hard to impose principles on them, but in the end, they have to go from external government to internal government. And they have to make their decisions, and they have to make their own choices. 
And God is the ultimate father that demonstrates that to us. He's not a helicopter father that hovers over us. He says, here's truth. Choose. Which one do you want? He gives us a will, the greatest choice, the greatest freedom that we have as human beings. The greatest gift we have is the gift of will, is free choice. And so, you know, we can't weaponize our doctrines and start legislating and start dominating and and standing up for those things. You know, all it does is show me that if a nation is turning away from God, that really it means that we, and I bring me into this, we, the church, isn't actually doing our job of keeping the revelation of God alive. See, I grew up in little old Adelaide, and, you know, there was a church on every corner. Well, it is the city of churches, after all, but, you know, I went to a little old Anglican church. My, my, the Reverend was Tom Jones, kind of cool guy. Um, Reverend Tom Jones, he married Brahman and I, and uh, couldn't sing, though. And, um, <clears throat> and uh, you know, there were mainly 80-year-olds and 70-year-olds in the church, but my mum kept the revelation of God alive. She did her hardest. She was, you know, you've heard me say this before, sit on my bed and my my sibling's bed every single night and just say the Lord's Prayer with us. Like that was her attempting to keep the revelation of God alive in in our hearts. And, you know, now my mum is walking with the Lord and and wants to travel with, with us to Ambon and to Jakarta Life and to see what God is doing over there. You know, even when her own siblings walked away from God and, and, and resent God and resent church, my mum, there's a tenderness in my mum because I believe God honoured her faith, uh, keeping the revelation of God alive. But back then, everyone was, was operating from a place of being good people. There weren't weird whispering doctrines of demons like the Bible says in the last days is going to happen. There weren't lots of weird voices taking people astray. But now it's like, whoa, it's, it's up for grabs. It's crazy. And that's now. Imagine in another 10 or 20 years' time, what, what's it going to be like for our grandchildren, you know, coming into, into adulthood? So, you know, we as a church, as the church, have to make sure that we live out our lives as authentically as possible so that we can be imitated. Like Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Because every person and every generation has to want and desire the person of the truth for themselves, yeah? It can't be, you can't be dominated. You can't have someone bash you and beat you over the head and say, you know, you will obey, you will believe, you will do what we say. God, even God himself doesn't do that. He he gives us choice. And so I, I believe that there is a commissioning. There's an anointing. There's always an anointing going out wanting to commission a generation. That's if we will respond and then if we would choose to lead in that. Uh, Like I said last week, mine was the third generation since Pentecost started and was birthed in Australia. And, you know, like I've always preached and said, I I feel like we let the the next generation down, the young ones down. Um, And yet we were stewards of the foundation of Pentecost. But instead we sanitised, contained and packaged and branded um, the presence of God. And uh, we took from the best of the younger generation just to build our own personal ministries. And I'm saying our because I'm part of that generation, but I've watched it happen. And I've watched just as many hundreds, possibly thousands of young people that grew up with my kids run to the presence of God. It looked like revival. I've seen just as many turn around and run right back out again. And um, it's devastating because we've, 
we've allowed there to be a pseudo-atmosphere of the Holy Spirit, which is controlled, measured, and fleshly. And instead of broken vessels preparing for leading people into worship, it's been more about makeup rooms, wardrobe departments. This is happening in churches. Did you know that? And Instagram-worthy pictures of something that should be esteemed as so holy, which is our worship to God. It's devastating to watch the industry of worship take over when it's such a holy thing, you know. People should be worshipping God, honouring God, on their faces before God. Instead, they're up there going, you know, taking their selfies and behind their instruments and it's like, wow, we've got so far. And I don't blame them, but I blame a culture. You know, I blame a culture that has allowed that, that has fed into that. And so we've got to take it back, right? So right now there's a choice. There's going to be a release of new leaders for this next season of impartation from the Holy Spirit if the generation will respond. So last week we also looked at what is the anointing and of course we saw very briefly it means to, um, to set apart, to consecrate. And In Israel it was a declaration over the kings, the priests and the prophets. The effect that it produced in April, uh, April in Israel, thank you. Um, the effect that it produced in Israel was that that anointed person or thing became holy. And I said last week it's like, you know, when you, it's, anointing is just a normal word, which means like, oh, I want to anoint that coffee mug. That belongs to me now. No one else is allowed to use that. It's been set apart. It's been consecrated for my use only. That's what it means. But this, in this case, they were anointed and set apart and consecrated, but with the power of the Holy Spirit by God for holy use. And so the effect that it produced on someone was so powerful. Um, it was a mark on someone's life and it was the bestowal of divine favor or appointment. And we talked last week about the recipe for this holy anointing oil. And you can read it, you can write down these scriptures, uh, Exodus 30 verses 22 to 25. Exodus 30, 22 to 25. And a quick summary of that from last week is that in that anointing oil, they had to crush sweet and bitter spices together and blend them with oil. And it's a picture, um, and it's a, that becomes manifest now in the New Testament as unity of the church, bitter and sweet, different opposing uh, sorts of senses, um, but joined together by the oil of the Holy Spirit. Another aspect was that it's holy. Uh, in other words, nothing unholy could rest on those, or can rest on those anointed to the office and ministry of the sanctuary. Another aspect of the anointing oil is that it was not to be poured on anyone's body or flesh. So in other words, for us, God does not require the fleshly, religious, Adamic nature of man. It won't be poured out on such activity in God's house. The anointing won't be poured out onto that. And the fourth thing was that it was to be continued through all generations. In other words, every generation needs to be responsible to receive it. Uh, this generation cannot live in the anointing of the previous generation. So in other words, it will commission a new generation. And you know what? As God begins to commission by his Holy Spirit and as he begins to anoint, it might look very different. Like there was a while there that I thought, Lord, how? Because it's been prophesied over me quite a few times that I would, um, I would raise up young apostles and prophets. So in your natural mind, you think, okay, well, they have to look, they have to be a certain way, they have to act a certain way. But I'm realizing now, no, 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 no. 
every generation comes with a fresh anointing. You read through the Old Testament, and in this generation, that person comes up. You know, there'll be a Samson who does this, that, and the other. Then in this generation, there'll be um, Rahab the, the prostitute. Then in that, there'll be different ones that just so vastly arrayed, so different to the people that get used. You know, Ruth, uh, just who else, Brahms? So many people, so, so different. And then in the New Testament, you know, along comes Paul, that, Peter, there's different ones. And the anointing looks very different. And even just in my lifetime, you know, Kevin Connor was my hero. And, uh, and I sort of look around now, I think, where are the Kevin Connors? Well, it's almost like God saying, well, you leave that one to me because if I need a Kevin Connor type anointing, I'll raise that up. But right now I might need something different. So don't be surprised because there was a while there I was thinking, Lord, who else carries, you know, this breakthrough anointing that is clearly working through my life? And it's not a pride thing, but it was almost like, God, who do we, who, who's going to do this? It's like, Diane, move back. You are for your season. I'm going to raise up whatever and whomever I want for the next season, and it will be perfect. I was born at my time because it was right for my generation, but there'll be you, some of you sitting here, that it's going to look completely fresh and new. In fact, Phil Hills keeps telling me, he keeps saying, Diane, when revival comes, it's always those that are closest that often reject it the most because they say, this doesn't look like what we expected. And they almost discredit themselves from being part of the next move of God. And I don't want to be guilty of that. I don't want to look at something and go, well, that doesn't look like how Brahm and I did it. That doesn't look like, no, 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 no. It's going to be a fresh anointing, a fresh move, a fresh fire. The principles and the order will still be the same. There will still be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. But apostles might look very different. Prophets could look very different. Like the list goes on. It will be right for what the generation needs. In the Old Testament, the anointing, of course, pointed us towards Jesus in the very word itself. Uh, Mashiach, it means uh, the Messiah, the anointed one. And uh, it was, you know, when Jesus came along, of course, um, there was power used in connection with the Holy Spirit throughout his whole ministry. And of course, he was anointed to do a job because he was also commissioned. In Luke 4, 14 to 21, and I'll read you this, it says this, um, because Jesus basically came full of power to do a job. And I figure if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us. But let's read this, Luke 4, 14 to 21. And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Not in his own power, in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through all the surrounding district. And he began teaching in their synagogues. Now this was the beginning of his ministry. He was already 30 years old. He'd just been baptized in water and remember the Holy Spirit had come upon him in the form of a dove. So he's been, something has happened and we're going to look at hopefully by next week or the week after, we're going to look at what all that means. But here he is now, he's returning to Galilee in the power of that very spirit. And news about him. See, when the anointing is on somebody, you can't stop people talking about it. The anointing follows you. The anointing should be where you've been. The people know where, where Jesus had been because the anointing followed him. They talked about it. There was evidence. He left a trail of the power of God behind him. 
And he says, news spread about him throughout all surrounding districts. And he began teaching their synagogues and was praised by all. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he opened the book and he found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. (laughs) See, that's what the anointing does. When the word is read out under the power of the anointing. Remember, he's reading the very scripture that is about him. And he's saying, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Imagine what that felt like that day. No wonder they're all, could you imagine they're probably just sitting there, glued to their seats, their eyes are fixed on him. Remember when Jesus walked with the two guys on the road to Emmaus and when they realized it was him, they said, didn't our hearts burn within us? See, that's what happens when Jesus turns up through the word and the presence of his spirit is there to reveal him and to glorify him. Something burns on the inside of us. And he says in verse 21, he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all were speaking well of him and wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips. And they were saying, is this not Joseph's son? Isn't that amazing? You see, people see when the anointing is there. It becomes obvious. You know, we as leaders, Brahma and I, we can see how people are responding to the dealings of God, to the commissioning of God. It's as if there's a touch of God on someone. And you stop looking at them according to the flesh because the Bible says we don't see one another according to the flesh anymore because we're new creations. It says that, you know, it's like you see the touch of God, the hand of God moving and shifting and shaking them and, and, and shaping them. Something is happening because they're responding to the dealings of God. See, responding to God isn't just God send me. Let me. It's no, no, no. Before the sending comes the dealing. Before the commissioning comes the burning. Before the releasing comes the breaking. Because that's what God does. It's got to be less about us and it's got to be all about him. Let me, let me decrease and let you increase. That's what it's got to be like. And that's why God is always doing that. He's always trying to smash and break through that stuff so that he on the inside, that, that, that beautiful presence of God in this earthen vessel can be released in fullness. That's what it's about. It's amazing when you read back over that scripture in verse 18, he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. You know, this is metaphorical. You can say it's about the poor, but it's also the poor in spirit, which is from the Beatitudes. You know, those who realize that there's nothing in them. There's nothing worthy in and of themselves. That's what true brokenness looks like, being poor in spirit. He comes to, 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 to give the gospel to us. You know, he releases the captives, not actual slaves, because there were slaves in the New Testament times, but slaves to sin, slaves to lies. Recovery of sight to the blind, yes, he healed blind people, but of course he's also talking about people who can't see God. 
Once again, in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. See, when we're pure in heart, there's, there's a recovery of sight. We, we see God because we're no longer just seeing ourselves. It's, it's amazing. Freedom to those who are oppressed. Inner freedom. So, when people begin to move in this kind of anointing and this kind of commissioning, it's really obvious. And then us as leaders, as older people, our job and our role is to train you guys and to coach you and bring you along on the journey and, and minister into that and keep you strong and make sure that your character stays up with the anointing. Sometimes the anointing on our lives is so strong that it, goes, it runs ahead of our character. And in the end, it's our character that can let us down, which I've seen time and time again with ministers, that they get to a certain point and then their character lets them down all those years and decades of, of operating in their gift. And so, you know, the, the gifting is something so precious when it begins to explode on someone's life. And my own experience is that I was actually even ordained, I'm a fully ordained uh, minister with the, with the ACC, with the Assemblies of God, um, and I'm recognized not because I've got a degree, not because I went and did some degree and, and, and passed, but because they said it's because, Diane, you have a proven ministry in our nation. And it's a, there's evidence of, of a proof of a lasting, ongoing fruit of ministry. Um, but it's funny when I reflect back on that time because they almost didn't know what to do with women like me 25, 30 years ago. Um, you know, good people, but it was very much a, a male-dominated boys' club. Am I allowed to say that? And I don't say that I'm not a feminist. My children tell me I am. But I don't look for equality in anything because I already know that in the kingdom of God there is neither male nor female. So what's there to be equal to? Uh, I'm, I'm, hey, I belong to him. Jesus is my love, the love of my life. And together Brahma and I are one and we serve God together as one. And, um, but they always didn't know what to do with women like me. And, you know, there was a, I, I look back now and I realize in my generation there was a commissioning of women just like me. Christine came. You know, she and I, she's come and preached at our church and manifest a few times and she and I done conferences together overseas and we've seen the power of God. You know, Nancy Alcorn, some of you may or may not know her. She's a woman from America. We all kind of came out in that, in that move of God in the same time and came up. And God was using us and utilizing us and other women here in Australia, Vicky Simpson or Vicky Durazio, she was back then, is now one of the traveling prophets for the C3 movement worldwide. And, and um, you know, I, it's, it's amazing. It wasn't because we were fighting for our rights or, you know, this is uh, such a misogynistic, is that the word? Um, kind of atmosphere. I didn't even know that word. I still don't really know even how to say it properly. You can tell. Um, but it, it wasn't like that. The, the Spirit of God commissioned us and we just rose up. And I, I thank God for a husband like Bram, who's the most secure man in the entire planet, who even last week, he said this to me 20 years ago when I preached it at um, Edge Conference back in Adelaide, and there was a revival and it was amazing. And um, he just said to me that we'd already started the church. He said, die. That was so amazing. I said to God, even if I don't even have to be a pastor anymore, I'll just be your full-time intercessor. And you know what? He said the same thing to me again this week. He said, I've been praying for you all week. Babe, if all I ever do for the rest of my life is just intercede for you. Like, that's humility 
and it's security and it's the most empowering thing when we empower one another like that. Um, but I was listening back to some of our old prophecies and just the other day I was listening to one from 2005 where Nick Resky, who um, he was talking on the CD and there was myself and about four other women that were all part of this prophetic presbytery with a whole lot of other men, David McCracken, John Steele and all different ones that were, that were, we were all part of this group that were prophesying over at City Life in 2005 and he actually said, I'm blown away. He looked at us sitting there and he goes, I'm blown away by the power that is sitting here together. And he started to say, you know, these women are trailblazers and pioneers for, for women in Australia where men were still so insecure about women in ministry. They were his own words. And the good thing is that I didn't realize that then. Um, I didn't actually know that they were. It's only now that I kind of look back and go, oh, okay, maybe they were. Um, but, you know, I commend Australia. I think Australian men have really been amazing at releasing women. And, um, but in the end, it's <laughs> no man can stop the anointing of God. No one. No one can stop it. Um, but he even went on to say, you know, people will see Diane, they'll say Diane Manusama was not so crazy after all. And I heard that and I thought, mm, I'm not so sure about that. <laughs> but you know, we weren't trying. We weren't trying, we weren't beating our chest saying, we demand our rights, we, we've got something to say, we're anointed. You know, no, that wasn't even in our thinking. We were, we were so pure in our hearts. Every single one of those women that I just mentioned, there was such a purity. And, and we were merely responding First to the dealings of God, then to the commissioning of the presence of God. It's amazing. So, you know, the Bible says, in, in, just write the scripture down, Second Chronicles 16 verse 9, for the eyes of the Lord move to and fro, this is Second Chronicles 16 verse 9, for the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support or show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is completely his. See, that's the key right there, whose heart is completely his. When our hearts are completely his, don't worry, you're seen by God. When your heart belongs to God, you are seen by God. You don't have to go to your pastor and say, pick me, pick me. You don't have to position yourself and say, why aren't they noticing me? No, when your heart is completely belonging to Him, when you are owned by God, come on guys, He's searching for people like you. He's searching, He's saying, where are they? Where are the ones who are not looking for the fame? They're not looking for, for the name. They're not looking for the title. They're not looking for the recognition. They're just looking for me. Where where are they? And his eyes are searching to and fro. And when he sees someone, he goes, bingo, you, I'm grabbing you. I'm going to put you with this cute little guy over here in Indonesia because his heart is also totally mine. And he takes this little girl growing up in the back blocks of Adelaide, South Australia, who knows absolutely nothing. And then, and then brings her over to Indonesia, meets up with this little cute guy, very cute, had longer hair than me. And uh, wore green velvet pants and, and, and um, platform boots when I first met him, but I've forgiven him now. I've forgiven him for all of that. <laughs> and uh, it's the most random story. And yet our hearts have burned for the kingdom together. We're this weird couple. Like we, get, we don't get pleasure out of too many other things except just that's the, the pinnacle of our life is the kingdom of God. Because He's called us. We're slaves to the calling of God. 
We are enslaved to the calling of God. Seriously, there's nothing else to live for. And we want to see a revival come in this nation. We're here for a reason, guys. You're all here for a reason. There's a legacy. What will the legacy be said about your generation? What's going to be written about your generation? What's going to be said about this generation in the history of Australian Christianity? You know, the effect that it produced in Jesus when he was anointed, it says that in Acts 10.38, and, and I read this last week, It says how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit. And of course, what happened? He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. I tell you, it's time to respond to God. And like I said last week, it's time to take back Pentecost. It's time to take back Pentecost and all that that means to us. I rang uh, John Steele this week. He's uh, another father in the faith to Brahma and I. He'd be in his early 80s now. And he lived through two revivals in New Zealand in the 70s and in the 80s. And he's seen amazing things. And I've invited him to come. Soon I want him to come and to speak into whatever God is doing in us. And I asked him, I said, John, what are the first signs of revival? And straight away in that beautiful, warm, rich voice that only John can do, he said, the presence. He said, it's the presence. I said, John, it's here. And it's growing in our church. It's coming. And he goes... He will come, not it, Diane. He will come. His presence. It's not an it, it's he. You know, I remember times of worship when his presence was so thick. Um, When we would lead worship, that the whole church would be on their knees. It was tangible. I I mentioned last week pastors chanting Jesus in the entertainment center. Uh, Got to 104 decibels and there was no music. Just pastors and leaders. Can you imagine the pastors of Melbourne? Cross-denominational. Was anyone there? Is anyone sitting here today that was actually there? Yeah, it was pretty amazing. Were you there? Wow, awesome, with your mum and dad, right? Of course. Um, You know, we've seen many people set free from painful memories during times of worship and vulnerability. Even in DMS this year, um, I've seen, you know, witch doctors, an old friend of ours from our group became a witch doctor and, and when I, um, I remember like God told me to lay hands on him and he said he felt something really strange and he went all lightheaded. You know, the presence of God comes when we, when we invade. Um, the night that I, in 1983, that I had the deliverance that I talk about in DMS, my friend saw the glory cloud of God and it was too bright for her and she had to ask God to take it away. People were falling off the backs of their chairs. Two guys were visiting and as they came forward to see what was going on down the front because it was so intense, um, they fell backwards. You know, my own kids have been touched by the Holy Spirit, even when they were children at the Rodney Howe Brown meetings. I remember Michaela. You too. Wow. There you go. Marion was too. You were six? It was in 96. Wow. How old were you, Marion? 11. I remember Michaela just beginning to cry and weep and wail. And I'm thinking, what's wrong with her? She's sick. And it, every day, every meeting, it would happen again. And then someone, because of course, I, we didn't know. We didn't recognize what was going on. And someone said, it's okay. This is the Holy Spirit. And as Michaela grew up, you know, we could see that spirit of intercession on her more and more. So don't be surprised when things like this happen. Um, <clears throat> you know, I remember one night with DMS, in the opening night of DMS, we saw a healing, a powerful healing. Um, 
I've always felt like I've experienced times of personal revival, even from the very start. Uh, and I might talk about these things in, in the next few weeks because I want to get into something else. But, you know, I, I, I felt the touch of God. Like even today in worship, I, I felt like I was going to collapse. I didn't because I've learned to stand strong. <laughs> but, you know, there have been times when in, in the mid-90s, I remember we lived in this little 12 square house with our five children and we had one bathroom, tiny little bathroom and I remember trying to get ready to take the kids to school and of course, you know, Jessica's a teenager and they're all in there and I'm standing in there trying to put my makeup on, I'm putting my mascara on I remember I was praying in the spirit and as I'm praying in the spirit, the Holy Spirit was coming as I was praying in the spirit the Holy Spirit was coming on me as I was putting my mascara on and I could feel myself going down like this and, and I all of a sudden, the mirror's here and I couldn't see myself anymore and I had to keep coming up and I'm praying in the spirit and I was just getting more and more drunk. Now, I know this sounds weird, but on the day of Pentecost, Peter said, these men are not drunk as you suppose. This is what happens. And, and I could feel myself getting more and more overwhelmed by the presence of God. So then, of course, I had to take the kids to school, so I'm getting in the car and, and I'm driving, you know, Tarago. <laughs> bus lady. I've got all the kids in the car, you know, Josh is a baby and, and um, in, in his little car seat and uh, the other kids and they're all, they're trying to get to school, hurry up mum, you know, you're driving so slow. And then I get to the, to the church because I was going to a, I don't know if any of you know David McCracken, he's a prophet in the body of Christ and he was holding sessions, leadership sessions and I was supposed to be in there. And anyway, I'm driving down the road and apparently because one of the pastors, because the kids went to Waverley Christian College, which is part of City Life, and one of the pastors, Graham McMeehan, was driving behind me, said, Di, do you know, he, when he saw me, he says, you were driving at 40 kilometres an hour in a 60 or 80 zone because I was trying so hard to concentrate while I was driving down the road. And then finally I got to the, to the church building and, you know, City Life's a very orderly, proper place. Anyone here from City Life? Used to go to City Life? Yeah, you all know what I'm talking about, right? So, um, and we went there for years, right? So I'm walking in and, of course, it's the 90s and I had my... Oh, they were awesome. I had Levi jeans that were split right up here. They were the best with my big, huge, chunky platform shoes on. So I'm walking into the church trying to, and I had to go up these stairs and I could hear myself going clonk because these things sound like big clodhoppers and I'm going clonk, clonk. And I'm trying to walk really normal and it was already past 8.30. I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to be late for this session. And I'm walking in and, as a, and I'm making so much noise because I'm trying really hard to look normal. And I'm walking in and I finally get into the session and of course... I walk in to the entrance, which is actually the front of the meeting. So I walk in like from there, not from the back, but from the front. I walked in and I'm as drunk as anything in the spirit. There's David. He just turns over and looks at me because he knows me because we've ministered together before. He looks at me. He's, he'd already started talking and I'm standing there wobbling and someone saw me and this woman came up to try and steady me and the two of us just collapsed onto the ground and completely ruined the whole session. And David just said, well, I'm glad to know that God, even God, turns up at my meeting. So um, I sat there in the rest of that session, and I remember just staring at my paper, and I couldn't write. I couldn't think. I was completely overwhelmed. And, you know, I, I don't like being on show. I am a shy person. I hate being the center of attention. I don't like things being focused on me. But when the Spirit of God comes on you, you let him. You let him do his job. You let him do what he's doing, because... Who knows what he was doing in me? Who knows what he was doing in me? All I know is 
from where I am today to what I was back then, I've changed. He commissioned me. But it was all him. It wasn't anything to do with me. And so, you know, we need the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. John also said another thing will be that we will love our enemies. And that will mark this season. And uh, he said, any variances in our hearts towards our enemies, and he won't come. Any variances in our hearts. And forgiveness, letting go, and tenderness of heart will be one of the hallmarks because God anoints purity of heart. There are no hidden variances. Um, remember, God cannot anoint flesh. No more pride, holding on to offenses, anger, resentment, stubbornness, self-preservation. Um, Another thing, I'm going to keep, keep going because there's something I want to get on to. Um, another thing that he said to me, he said, compassion will be part and parcel of this move. He said, people will walk in and feel his love. They'll no longer feel like orphans. We'll feel like a family. You know, I remember in 1984, I was eight weeks pregnant with Ben. So this was a long time ago. This was 35 years ago. And we were at a meeting and... Um, it was actually at Kew High School in the theatre there. Our church was holding a church meeting there, a special series of meetings with a prophet who'd come over from overseas somewhere. <clears throat> and he began to speak about this thing called the orphan spirit. And of course I'm sitting there thinking, well, I'm fine, I don't feel like that. And of course Brahm's fine, he's very cool. And, um, and this guy, I remember, he just stood up there and he said, I'm going to start praying for some people. And then he points straight at Brahm and he goes... I want you to come up here, Brahm. And, he called, and I'm thinking, why Brahm? He's totally fine. And he called Brahm up onto the stage in that place. And, uh, you know, as Brahm's standing there, and you've got to realise, Brahm, I mean, he's Mr. Cool, right? Doesn't show much emotion. And back then, he was even cooler. And uh, very cool. And... Um, but also, he's a man of few words. You know, he's not a big demonstrative emotional person, is he? We all know that, right? I got those genes. So, yeah. So, but Brahm, he's not like that. He stood on that stage in front of everybody. And I'm watching, thinking, what's going to happen here? And as this guy began to pray, all of a sudden, my husband, standing there, like a metre away from this guy, absolutely broke out and began to bawl his eyes out and weep in so much pain. I'd never seen anything like it. And then I think he got the pastor up, didn't he, to come and give you a hug, and it was like a restoration to the Father's love. And I witnessed that day something so supernatural that it was God. You see, we, we, it's, it's not about our head knowledge, it's about that spirit connection when God does something. And, uh, and it transformed Brahm. You know, compassion will be part and parcel where we can see the compassion of Jesus uh, coming in. It will touch everything in our lives. It will absolutely transform everything in our lives. Um, I remember being carried out of a meeting, drunk in the spirit, at a meeting that we'd been asked to lead worship in. At the end of it, I went up for prayer and, of course, went down. And then I was so drunk. And I'm not saying this to be trite or anything. Like This is literally what's happened to me over the years. I fall heavy, okay? <laughs> and uh, I had to be carried out. And, and I was taken back to our friend's place, and we sat there at their house while they went off to pick up their kids from school. And it was a, an amazing moment. I walked into the kitchen to get a drink of water, and I saw one of their utility bills sitting on the, the counter for about 400 and something dollars. And suddenly, 
I just wanted, I said, Brian, where's the checkbook? And I secretly wrote out a check and paid for their utility bill and slipped it under the bill. Now, we weren't flash with money in the slightest, but it's like the love of God took over me. And it made me realize this is what happened in the early church. That's why they shared everything with everyone, because there was a presence there that overcame them. It touches everything in your life. It, tra- it makes you just want to love. You just love everybody. You just want to give to everybody. Why do we think in the, you know, what motivated them, where they sold everything and shared that nobody was in need? That's not because the, it was legislated from above. It's because the Spirit of God took over and they were so overcome by Him and His presence that it took over. So it's as if something is awakened in us. It's awakened in us. When the presence of God comes, when the river of God begins to flow, something is awakened in us. And so the title of my sermon is The Anointing, He Awakens Us. And what does He do? He awakens us to Him. He awakens us to His love. We're awakened to that first love, the first love that we have for Him. We know the truth of who we really are, that we're set apart by God, that we're called to be holy, set apart to the Lord. 1 John 2.20 says we have an anointing from the Holy One and all of you know the truth. We're going to know the truth of who we really are when the anointing is within us. 1 Peter 1.8 says that though you have not seen Him yet, you love Him. We're awakened to this love, the lover of our souls. We know that. And yet who's told us? I don't know, but I just know it. That's the love of the Father. That's the love of the Son. We're set apart. We're new creations. He says he will never leave us nor forsake us. It says that he will not erase our name from the Lamb's book of life. That's your name. It says in Revelation 3, verse 5, and I will confess his name before my Father. He knows your name and he knows my name. He knows our names. We've been given a measure of faith when we're born again. The Bible says that we are children of God, that the, we are given and receive the spirit of adoption and the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. We know who we are. And we know that hope in God doesn't disappoint because it says in Romans 5 verse 5, the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. The love of God comes in and it evicts everything that stands in his way. It takes over that orphan spirit. It removes that sense of not belonging. It takes away that sense of, I don't belong, I'm on the outside. I'm always, I'm always standing on the edge. I'm always standing on the outside. I know cerebrally about the love of God, but I've never really felt it. I've never really just gone, you know, face first into the love of God. I always feel like I have to strive and try and measure up to something. But we just need the anointing of God come in and show us that truth. We've seen such amazing moments of deliverances and healings. Um, If we belong to him, then we're his body. And if we're his body, we're his family. Do you know the devil will do anything to block you from feeling that? I'm going to ask someone to come up and give us a testimony right now. And and then we're going to pray for people because... God wants us to know how much we are loved by him. And I I want us to rest. I want us to forget the time. Let's let's do away with the clock for the moment, okay? You should already know by now that when God turns up, anything can happen. 
Let's be ready for what God wants to do. He is in us. He is in you. But we put up so many walls of resistance to stand firm and to keep and contain ourselves. Let's let go and let's let the Spirit of God take over. Let's allow him to do something so amazing. Hope in him does not disappoint because his love is shed abroad in our hearts. And uh, he wants to bring some of us back to that place of our first love. He wants to awaken something in us today and bring us back to that first love. I want to ask Charlene to come on up right now. And this young woman has an amazing testimony. She was telling me about it just yesterday, actually. You ready? Um, I'll start by saying that I moved, I moved to Melbourne about six and a half years ago from Canada. And when I moved here, I was, I was 22 and I was finding my feet in a place that I didn't know. Um, and I felt like I grew a lot um, by moving here and doing things on my own. Um, but there was always this feeling of loneliness or emptiness that I had. Um, and I felt very displaced. I felt like um, that was normal and I could explain it to myself by saying that that was the case because my family was still in Canada and I was here. Um, but this, this feeling followed me for all the years that I was here. And I, I always would say that feeling will go away if my family were here or if, if I had a home that I could call my own or something. But I always felt like I was, I was wandering. Um, and this feeling was accentuated by the fact that um, I had to live with, with different people, with friends and things, and almost every year or every two years, I would have to move house and rent somewhere else. And every time that happened, it like stirred up this, this sense of uneasiness in me. Um, and I made friends here, and I eventually felt like I was finding my footing. Um, and one of the girls that I was closest to when I first moved here, she met a guy and um, was in a relationship, and then she, a year of our friendship goes by, and this girl was my closest friend here, um, like a sister to me, and she got engaged. And when she got engaged, I remember she told me, and I said, I'm so happy for you on the phone, and then I hung up, and I felt so broken, and I was like, am I a crazy person? How can I feel, how can I feel so sad that she's got engaged? This is a really good thing. And it was to the point that I was like bedridden for that weekend. I couldn't move and I felt, I felt lost and I didn't know how to deal with that sense of loss for me. Um, so I woke up the next day and I said to myself, I don't care, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me anymore. I feel nothing. Um, and then I felt fine. And I was like, oh, this is good. And I made different friends that year and I became close to different people. And um, those friends eventually moved and they went overseas. And again, it was that feeling of uneasiness again. 
And then I was like, oh, it's okay. I don't care. It doesn't bother me. And this went on for years. Every year, my, my living situation would change, and every year, the people in my social circles would change. Um, and I made myself okay with this, but deep down, I, I had this struggle where my friends that are close to me have heard me voice it in different ways, where I would often say, um, I'm alone, or if I don't do it for myself, then no one's going to do it for me. And don't worry, you don't have to get me, because I got me, and I'm okay. Um, and last year, my, my, some of my dreams did come true, so my, my family did end up moving here. I had my brothers move down and uh, my sister-in-law, and I was like, this is great, it's finally happening, the thing that I wanted. And I felt like a, a, a different sense of abandonment. It, I could not explain it. We were all living in this house together, and I knew that eventually our time would come to part ways. We had to live in different houses, and when that moment actually happened, I felt a feeling of betrayal from my own family that I'd never felt. And this is, I'll preface this by saying that it had nothing to do with my family and there was no error on their part, but it was the way that I looked at it. And I looked at myself and I looked at my family at that time and I said, even family is nothing. Um, wow. And then later I got into a relationship and that tested me in a way that I had um, not been tested before um, because the way that I could remove myself from people or remove them from me or displace people when I felt rejected or abandoned by them, I could not do now. And it made me feel so uneasy that I, I nearly got to a point where I almost ended that relationship on on account of saying that it was the other person's fault and that something was wrong with them, um, but it was just highlighting what was in me. And I remember in the week leading up to the service where God met me, I was having a conversation with Anesh and just airing out some of my grievances. And as I was saying all this, I ended up saying, you know I have an orphan complex, right? And I was so taken aback by my own words because I've never, I've never used that word or identified myself in that way that I actually retracted the comment at the time and I said, no, I don't. And then I was like, well, maybe I do. And then I was thinking about it and I was like, whatever, it's fine. And then I came to church that Sunday and um, I didn't even really want to be in church that Sunday, but I, I came anyway and this, this feeling of loneliness would follow me often um, to a Sunday um, where I would walk into church and I would enter the room and I would feel like I, I hope that no one sees me or talks to me or acknowledges that I'm there because it's easier for me to feel alone. That I can rectify with and that is familiar and I'm comfortable with that. But to think that somebody might acknowledge me or care about me, that made me feel uncomfortable. And so this Sunday was one of those and I walked in and I sat in the back and the, the series of events leading up to the altar call are a bit blurry for me, but I think Di did say, and Byrne said as well, that there is a spirit here and it's going to be broken and it's the orphan spirit. And I was shocked to hear them say it. 
Um, and I just started crying in the back and I didn't even know why I was crying. And later we came up, Di opened the front to, to address rejection. And I felt like my heart would actually beat out of my chest if I didn't actually move myself to the front. So I walked up here and um, Honestly, the music hadn't even started yet. They were in the middle of tuning the guitars, I think. And I thought that would be a good point in time to let it all out. <laughs> and I just cried like I have never cried before. And even crying for me is, has always been an uncomfortable thing because I don't, I don't like to acknowledge hurt. And I've never liked to acknowledge that somebody else has the power to do that to me. Um, and I wept on my face on this blue floor. And the sacred blue floor. <laughs> the sacred blue floor. <laughs> and um, I was on the floor, and God showed me a memory that I had completely forgotten or repressed or shoved down like I did a lot of other things. And it was, it was actually, it preceded my time moving here, because um, I always thought that the loneliness was a factor of me being here by myself, but it actually was words that were spoken to me 10 years ago that, that implied that I was disowned from my family, and I believed it. Um, and after believing that lie, every rejection that came pierced that same spot over and over. And so I saw that moment, and in the moment when I saw it, I forgave the person that said it to me and said, you owe me nothing. And um, the, the words or the thoughts in my head of always feeling alone, it was like in that moment, God replaced it with truth and all I could hear was, I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you. And I had to apologize to God to, because it was an insult to say that his love for me as a father was not enough and that I was alone. And um, I mean, like I stood up off the blue floor and like, it was like seeing, oh, just over there. <laughs> and it was like seeing the world in different color because I looked around the room and I was like, I think I like these people. <laughs> and I think they like me too. And like, it was a very physical manifestation of that too, just people that came around me at the time and were praying for me and weeping for me and feeling the same hurt that I had felt. And I couldn't even believe that that was a thing that someone else could do for me. And I know that rejection is, it doesn't go away, it's still gonna be a part of life, but I am okay with that because I know where my identity is and it's from my father. And I know that I'm not alone and I never ever want to go back to the place where I believe that lie and have my head in the sand. Um, it's, it's the most liberating feeling to be free. Yeah. I mean, she's my dance partner at weddings. Like, she's, she does killer moves on the dance floor. She looks like this total extrovert and... But we never know what's going on on the inside of people, do we? Thank you, darling. Really appreciate that. Thank you. Wow. <laughs> So I want us to, we're going to, I'm going to ask the music team to come on up. And I, I want us to be open to the Holy Spirit awakening us. Sometimes we resist 
the Holy Spirit doing something because it's painful to let him awaken something in us. It is painful. Um, and what, what Charlene just described then was pain. It was pain. And she also just described what happens when God heals us from our memories. And he does it. He shows us. But he's the one that wants to be in charge. So I'm going to ask, as, as the music team starts this song, we're going, to, we're going to ask God to awaken us and take us back to first love. You know, we can stay in that place of revival and place of first love if we let him come and touch our hearts. And if, any, if this is spoken to you, like, let's allow God to begin to move. There are, there are rivers in us. There's water in us. And Jesus said in John, he said, the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. He said to us, he will never leave us nor forsake us. He said that we are part of a family. We are connected to one another. You know, it's not just in our own hearts as individuals, but this orphan spirit can be on nations. You know, I see it very strongly on the nation of Indonesia. And uh, because there's such a... and Well, first of all, they were... Um, what's the word, Bram? Occupied by Holland, by the Dutch for 350 years. And, and then when they left, they'd be all the... The generation didn't know how to be fathered. They'd never been fathered properly because they'd had an autocratic, dominating, fathering figure over their nation. So I've watched a whole nation try and find their feet. And with each generation, it gets better. But there's such an autocratic authoritarianism in the older generation of Indonesian males as they tried to set their stamp and tried to prove that they could lead. But sadly for the children of so many of those families growing up, they never really experienced the love of a father or the love of God. And so that orphan spirit is kind of heavy on Indonesia. I see it so much in Australia. I see it in individuals, even though we might have had great parenting, but the devil's just such a liar and he's such a loser. He wants us to feel so lonely and so isolated even here. He doesn't want us to feel knitted together. Only the Holy Spirit can do this. His anointing is in us to do this. There's a river that wants to flow through you. It literally wants to explode and burst the banks of your hearts. But it's going to require vulnerability. You know, I remember when Mark McClendon came here and ministered. I remember Bernie, one of our pastors here, esteemed woman of God. You know, when the Spirit of God began to move and he began to minister in this whole thing, she went up and just laid face down. God did pretty much what he did for Charlene and reminded her of a childhood memory. Is anyone here that remembers that moment? Yeah, you remember. Mark himself, Mark McClendon, he was so desperate. He didn't have a good relationship with his, with his dad, had a terrible relationship with his dad. He's a minister. He heads up CBN. Like on the outside, it looks fantastic. But this man had a desperate inner need. He went to Toronto. Every night, he's positioned himself for something to happen. Nothing. He went up to every single altar call. Nothing happened. 
And then he was so disappointed in the morning that he, he was due to leave. He was being picked up at 8 o'clock and he had worship music going. Worship is the key, guys. He had worship music going and all of a sudden, the Spirit of God hit him in his hotel room. And he said, you should hear him tell the story. It's the funniest thing you've ever heard. He's just such a comedian. But he just got absolutely transformed, touched. The poor laundry lady came to the door and said, is everything all right, sir? And he just, he ended up kicking the door and he's laughing. And he, he ended up just lying in the bathroom, looking at the door handle and the thing. And then, and when, when the guy came, this Indonesian guy with a thick Javanese accent, rang him to say, are you ready to go in English? He said, it sounded like God the Father saying, this is my son in whom I am more pleased. He laughed for another 20 minutes under the power of the Spirit. Like, he got free. And we could say, well, that's a nice little isolated story. No, it's not. Because I watched the trail of the anointing follow him throughout Indonesia. Everywhere he went, I saw it. I saw it. I was witness to it. We participated in it here. Ambon, my brother-in-law's church. We had people, we had Abby and her family go up there and he ministered this. And they said the whole place just erupted. People crying and weeping and being healed. He brought the Father's heart of God into the nation of Indonesia. See, this is how God moves. It's a movement. You can't contain the Spirit of God when He moves. It's a commissioning that goes forth. What what does God want to commission now? I don't know, but let's let Him start by doing it in us first. Let's stand. We're going to sing this song. And if you have feelings of abandonment, if you have feelings of that you're separated, that you're like an orphan, that you don't belong, that you know, we don't have to label anything. You know, the Bible doesn't actually talk about an orphan spirit, but the, the principle is, the point is, we can feel like that. And we're not meant to feel like that. So I'm going to clear this now. And um, I want you, as we, as we begin to worship, I want you just to begin to, just put it over here if that's okay, to come on up. And we're going to sing this song. And I want this prayer to be your, your cry because it's, a, it's asking God to awaken us, to awaken us. Okay, let's just begin to sing the song. Just make your way up. And...